And in all seriousness, we muck around a bit and that's good, I hope you don't mind, but in all seriousness, let's also just pray right now as we open the Word. Heavenly Father, we, we do pray, God, we like to laugh and we like to have a bit of fun. But in the midst of all of that, Lord Jesus, we, we want to be completely, completely focused on you. And whilst we enjoy a lot of laughter, and you must too because you created us, God, we pray that in the midst of all of that, we would see what you want to say to us today. We would hear what you want to say to us today. We would feel and sense what you want to say to us today. And God, we pray that as we read your word, that not just the words, but the spirit of the word of God, the spirit of your truth, would become evident to us, would leap off the page and jump into our spirit, Lord Jesus, helping us to change and be the people you want us to be. Bless us right now in your mighty name. Thank you, God. Amen. I wanted to remind you of something this morning by way of introduction. Um, I just started writing this and I thought, yeah, I'm, I'm going to go there. We gather together here like this on a Sunday morning. Why? Why? Because we believe in God. God, the creator of the world, God, our father, and God, our saviour. We don't have all the answers. Might surprise you to know that. Smile at the person next to you. We don't have all the answers. We're still learning. We come together to read the word, the Bible. We come together to pray. We come together to sing. We bring ourselves to this place. We bring our offerings to this place. We bring our heart to this place. We bring our mess to this place. We bring our mismanagement to this place. But we bring it all together, all to express our thanks and our love and our worship of God. We don't gather together because we have to. We want to be here. We're not here this morning to pass the time of day, fill in a couple of spare hours before whatever we've got planned for the afternoon. We came here this morning to connect with God, to listen, to learn, to encourage one another and to step into the upcoming week refreshed, ready. Do you agree with that? That should make an almighty difference in your heart and your mind if you agree with that. Do you agree with that? I do that to you deliberately. I'm not messing with your head. I'm just trying to get you to think why we're here. What are we doing? And let me also remind you, church, I'm not some highly trained theologian like you needed reminding. <laughs> I'm just an ordinary bloke that loves Jesus and is fascinated by our individual and collective relationship with him. And like you, I'm sure, I'm convinced that there's a lot more for us to learn. I'm convinced that there's a whole lot of things we don't yet understand about God or about life or about church and so we keep going. My focus with this series in Romans at the moment is not about how I can impress you with my wonderful speech or my fantastic preaching or my great analogies or my tremendous life-filled examples. My focus with what we're doing through, through Romans is to impress upon you the presence and power and magnitude and grace and graciousness of God. My prayer 
is simply asking God to show us every single week when we open Romans. What do you want us to see? Not what do you want everyone else to know and not as what is my latest book going to be about or what is my next CD series going to focus on. But God, what do you want this church to know today? The people that have gathered together today for the reasons we just mentioned. The people that are here all the time, the people that are here sometimes, the people that are here for the first time today. You're here because God brought you here. You're here because something in your heart and spirit stirred you this morning and said, I need to be there. Therefore, God has a point and a purpose for you being here. Therefore, when I'm praying, I want to know what he wants to say to you today. So it's not a collection of preacher's greatest hits. It's a presentation of what I believe the word is saying to us today and what we get to take away. So today is simply the next step in learning a new normal from the book of Romans. If you're taking notes, easiest title is learning a new normal, number eight. Or if you want something a little different, trust God, why should I? Turn with me please to Romans chapter four. Romans four, we're reading from verse one through to 15. So there's a fair bit of reading, stay with me, I'm reading from the NIV. If you've got something similar, it'll be close. If you're reading a magazine, it won't even be anywhere near it. (laughs) Romans 4, chapter 1. What then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, forefather, discovered in this matter? If, in fact, Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. What does the Scripture say? Adam believed God. Adam. Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now when a man works his wages are not credited to him as a gift but as an obligation. However to the man who does not work but trusts God who justifies the wicked his faith is credited as righteousness. David says the same thing when he speaks of the blessedness of the man to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. Blessed are they whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will never count against him. Is this blessedness only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? We have been saying that Abraham's faith was credited to him as righteousness. Under what circumstances was it credited? Was it after he was circumcised or before? It was not after but before. And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith, while he was still uncircumcised. So then, he is the father of all who believe, but have not been circumcised, in order that righteousness might be credited to them. And he is also the father of the circumcised, who not only are circumcised, but who also work in the footsteps, walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. There's a lot of people getting circumcised here. It was not through law that Abraham and his offspring received the promise that he would be heir of the world, but through the righteousness that comes by faith. For if those who live by law are heirs, faith has no value and the promise is worthless because law brings wrath and where there is no law, there is no transgression. 
You know how I said we, we pray before we read and we want to understand what God's saying? Wow, on a first reading, that's hard to get, isn't it? Or is it just me? When you first read that, can we be completely honest? Are we in a place of honesty this morning? When you first read that, do you not just get a whole lot of mental pictures of people getting circumcised? <laughs> or is that just me? I, obviously, it's just me. Lord, please forgive me. As I'm reading through this, all I've got is mental images of those old films with Charlton Heston and people in robes and out in the desert all getting circumcised. I'm like, God, oh, there's got to be more in it than that. What are you trying to say? What do we need to know? So we pray and we start breaking it down and saying, God, what, what do you want us to learn? As I had a look at it, I started to understand what God was trying to say to us today. So let's break it open and have a look. First thing we've got to understand is what the first verse is saying, because it refers to something called this matter. What then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, discovered in this matter? We better work out what this matter is. This matter is what was being discussed immediately prior to 4 verse 1, which was the end of chapter 3, which is what we were looking at last time we spoke about Romans, which is simply this, the difference between faith and the law. And if you remember, we were talking about requiring a balance in life between faith and the law. If you weren't here or you you hadn't heard or you can't remember, we simply made this comment, faith is the pathway to the righteousness of God. The law helps us to get there and we need both. What does law do? Law helps us be conscious of our sin. Law helps us testify to the truth of complete righteousness. Law points us in the right direction. What does faith do? Faith creates forgiveness from repentance. Faith leads to redemption and righteousness. Faith builds a relationship with the one true God. Therefore, what should you and I do? Uphold the law and live by faith. We need both. We need balanced Christianity. We need to walk in faith by law. So the question in Romans 4 verse 1, what then did Abraham know about this stuff? faith and law. Let's have a look at it. From verses 2 to 5, it says simply this. Follow it with me. In fact, if in fact Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. What does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. In other words, if If we receive our godly medals and kudos simply by what we get done, then Abraham could have had a big old boast because he did a lot of good stuff. But Scripture says, no, no. Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. In that phrase, there is no doing. There was no action. There was no conquering the world. There was no setting up descendants. There was no taking over nations. There was no feeding the people. There was no building houses. There was nothing, just belief. Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. So it goes all the way back to the start that God isn't actually looking for us to do stuff for him. 
he's more than capable of doing stuff by himself. Firstly, he wants our heart. Firstly, he wants our connection. Firstly, he wants our relationship. Most importantly and primarily, he wants us to believe in him. And he credits that to us as righteousness. Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. It goes on to give an example straight after that, which is a fascinating example in three verses four and five. It says this, now when a man works, his wages are not credited to him as a gift, but as an obligation. When you've finished your work at the end of the week, it used to get paid in cash, not anymore. It all comes via email or some fancy thing. And it's just there, you know, just there already. But it's always there after you do something, no matter what you do, whether you work with your hands or work with your mind or both, no matter what line of work you have, when you work, you are then paid. The wages are given to you as an obligation as a deserved reward of your work. We understand that. It makes sense. However, says Scripture in verse 5, to the man who does not work but trusts God, his faith is credited as righteousness. Now, please understand, that doesn't mean lose your job, get away from your job and sit at home and do nothing. That's not what it's saying, the man who does not work idleness, laziness is not what it's talking about. What it's talking about is the man who doesn't think that his work earns him points with God. If we are in a mindset that says the more I do, the more I achieve, the more stuff I can put on my godly plate, like my scout shirt with my badges all sewn all over it, the more things I achieve, the better off I'm going to be. Well, the Bible says no, No, to the man who does not work, think that that's the answer, but instead trusts God. Instead trusts God. His faith is credited as righteousness. Think about it this way, working hard, having that kind of job-like attitude with God doesn't cut it. Because having a job-like attitude means we receive deserved wages, the obligation of payment. But trusting God, we don't receive deserved wages, we receive completely undeserved righteousness. And it's not an obligation, it's a gift. It's a gift. So work hard with a job-like attitude to get our deserved obligation. Or trust God, believe in God, work with him and receive the undeserved righteousness, which is a gift. Wow. I think that's maybe why the focus of what God's been saying to me personally over the last month or so, and I've shared some of it with you from Isaiah 30, particularly verse 15, is so succinct and straight to the point. In repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. Read as in the Tim version, God speaking to Tim, you just get to listen for a second. Sit down, shut up, I'm more than capable. That wasn't me talking to you, by the way. You okay? Just want to check, you went all serious on me for a minute. Just poke the person next to you, I'm still here. 
Quick, do it. Thank you. In repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. A few weeks ago we mentioned that being a representative of God means accepting the trust that he places in you and I. Realising that God trusts us with the role of sharing his love with others. Well, today we need to turn that around and see it from the other side. Not only does God trust us, we need to trust God. And that's a lot harder. Quote that I've used before, trust appears when we place what we value in the hands of another. Trust appears when we place what we value in the hands of another. So we know that God has placed in my hands, in our hands, the responsibility, the opportunity to represent him. We get that. He's placed in our hands that which he values very highly. Truth, life, love. God trusts me. God trusts you. The question is, can I place in his hands that which I value greatly? Me, my life, my future, my family, can I trust God? Have you ever played the trust game? You know, where you probably in youth group or somewhere. For me, it was theatre and getting to know you in casts and things. You stand really still probably put your hands over your chest and a circle of people gather around you and then you just let yourself go. And you have to not stumble. You have to basically trust that one or more people in that circle will hold you up and just gently push you back up again. And you keep your eyes closed and you just fall from one place to another and they just gently push you back up again. Sounds really easy. Anyone ever done it? It's quite freaky because we're not very good with trust as people. We're not very good with trust. We can actually theologically accept that God trusts us. It's very hard for us to trust God. Am I just talking to myself? No? Because I'm happy to take the rap on this one. (laughs) But I've got a funny feeling I've got some friends. Very hard for us to trust God. Have you ever said this to yourself? I know you can do it, God, but are you going to do it for me? Trust in the dictionary is defined this way. The confidence, reliance, hope and dependence placed on the character, ability, strength and truth of something. Character, ability, strength and truth. Trust God, why should I? Well, do I believe in the character, ability, strength and truth of God? We've had a bit of a look at the character of God over the last couple of years. Do we believe in the character of God? Do we believe in his ability? Do we believe that God is who he says he is? Well, yeah, I, I believe in the truth of God, the strength of God, the ability of God, the character of God. I, I, I do, but I've been let down. 
Ask yourself this really, really hard question. Has God ever let you down? And seriously, have a think about this in your own mind for a minute. People have let you down. People have let me down. I've let people down. People have let you down. Circumstances have hurt. Circumstances have got messy for you, for me, for life, for all sorts of reasons. But has God actually ever let you down? I would challenge you to think that through because I did and I had to get to the place of saying you know what I'm really sorry God you've never let me down you have never ever let me down what you said you would do you've done how you said you would behave you have every time God is a consistent God full of love full of grace. He is not a man that he would lie. He is not a man that he would change his mind. God has never let me down. And I would challenge you to have a think through it yourself because we use that as an excuse not to trust God. So I don't think I can trust you, God, because... And we name a circumstance or a situation or a place or a time where things didn't work. But if you actually have a look at those things, those circumstances, they were either driven by people or by you. It wasn't God. God will not let you down. And if that's the case, If that's the case, if I know the character of God, if I've got some clue as to his ability, if I can see his strength both in scripture and in experience, if I understand that the truth will set me free, if I grasp something of how huge God is, then there should be nothing stopping me trusting God. Nothing. David Meese wrote, beautiful song back when I was a teenager, back in 1989, days of great fashion, big hair, believe it or not. He wrote a beautiful song called Learning to Trust, which talks exactly about this situation. It talks about how a father should behave, how a mother should behave, and yet what we experience in a family, and therefore God I'm learning to trust in you. It talks about how life messes around with us and how circumstances don't quite go the way we wanted them to and therefore I'm learning to trust in you. I'm learning to trust in you, what does it say, but I'm finding it hard to do. It's so hard to completely trust God. And if at this stage, by the way, of this message you're thinking, oh good, he's going to give us 12 keys to learning to trust God, Well, you're in the wrong place at the wrong time. (laughs) Because all I'm going to say about it today, about this part, I felt very clearly not to put together a series of teaching points on how to learn to trust. Simply to say trust is an issue of faith. Trust is an issue of faith. And it simply requires us to step outside of ourselves and believe. If you're struggling to trust God, ask yourself this question, do I believe in God? 
Do I believe in God? Do I believe in his character, ability, strength, and truth? If the answer is yes, then I should trust God. It's hard, but it requires actually stepping outside of my limitations, stepping outside of my own box, stepping outside of my confusion, stepping outside of my hesitation, stepping outside of my lack of self-confidence, step outside that and say, but I trust you, God. Because I believe in you. Your character is demonstrated. Your truth is recorded for history. You created the world. This whole deal is because of you. Your character, your truth, your strength, your abilities are not under question. So why don't I trust you? Only because of the stuff going on in me. So I've got to get rid of the stuff in me to make me free to trust in you. Trust God, why should I? Because he's real and he loves you. And because there's an amazing result that happens if we trust him. What is the result of trusting God? As we said before, trust actually means accepting the gift, the free and undeserved gift of God's love and righteousness. Accepting the gift, trusting God. Well, what comes with that? Let's keep reading the next few verses in Romans 4 and we see what comes with that. Verses 6, 7 and 8. David says the same thing when he speaks of the blessedness of the man to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. Blessed are they whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will never count against him. Blessing. Blessing is the result of trust. The blessing of God is the result of trust. What an amazing situation. This is like a a double whammy on a gift show. This is amazing. Trust God and you will receive his righteousness. And don't ask, but you'll also receive his blessings. Wow. Wow. Trust God. And firstly and foremostly, he gives me his righteousness. He cleans me up. He purifies me. He makes me white as snow. God takes away all the mess. If I trust and follow God, he gives me his righteousness. Oh, and I get to partake in his blessings. I get to receive the blessings of God. Proverbs 10.6 says, Blessings crown the head of the righteous. Firstly, we have to take a step to be with God to claim that righteousness. And as a result of righteousness, because God can't deal with anything that's unrighteous, because he is whole and clean and good. So he separates himself from unrighteousness. And he says, come to me and I'll take your burdens and I'll clean you up and I will lend you, loan you, give you, speak through you with my righteousness. And on top of that, then I'll bless you. You go, wow, cool. Belief, 
releases blessing. Belief releases blessing. Write it down, remember it, imprint it on your head. Belief releases blessing. These blessings have already been promised. The blessings of God are recorded and promised and laid out and prepared, but it takes our belief to release them. The blessings of God, prepared since the beginning of time. The blessings of God, ready, ready to receive. The blessings of God, prepared in advance for all mankind. The blessings of God, ready and waiting on the other side of a door. And he says, behold, I stand and I knock. And anyone that lets me in, I'll sit with him and I'll dine. And will share in my righteousness and my blessings. Go, wow. God, you truly are amazing. There is so much more to what you do. The blessings of God. Who are they for? They're all for everybody. Verses 9 all the way through to 15, the long part that we, we read before. A lot of circumcision in that part. What's it really saying? As we unpacked it and as I felt what God wanted to say to us, what that's saying is that the blessings of God are for everybody. It doesn't matter whether you are circumcised or uncircumcised. It doesn't matter whether you're Jew or Gentile. It doesn't matter what nation you're from. It doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter what color your skin is. It doesn't matter what family situation you came from. It matters not. What matters is anybody who calls on the name of Jesus Christ, will be saved. Anybody who trusts God will receive his righteousness. So the blessings of God are for anyone who trusts him, point one. Point two, the blessings of God need to be passed on to others through you. If we match all this together, and I won't go for too much longer, But if we match all this together, we can go back to Genesis chapter 12 and we can see where it started. Because we're talking about Abraham. We're talking about how Abraham is responding. And if we go right back to the very, very start of Abraham's life, Genesis 12, verses 1, 2 and 3, just three simple verses. The Lord said to Abram, remembering his name had not yet been changed. The Lord said to Abram, leave your country your people and your father's household, and go to the land that I will show you, and I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. The blessings that we receive are then to be passed on. It's not a dam. It's not a finished product. You and I are not the receiver of all of God's blessings. We are part of the receiving of God's blessings. It goes on and on and on. You and I didn't start it and we sure ain't going to stop it. We're just part of the process of God as he relates to us and chooses to bring us into his righteousness and bless us and others. You want to be blessed? Start believing, start living in trust.
What does it look like, this blessing of God? Many, many examples in Scripture, many ways that we could talk that through. That's another 63 messages, but just briefly, just as we close in a second, I found one great description. There's lots. This is just one from Ezekiel 34. I'll just read it to you. It's, if you're writing, it's in Ezekiel 34, 25 to 31. A description of the blessing of God. God speaking to his people. And I will make a covenant of peace with them and rid the land of wild beasts so that they may live in the desert and sleep in the forests in safety. And I will bless them and the places surrounding them. And I will send down showers in season. There will be showers of blessing. The trees of the field will yield their fruit and the ground will yield its crops and the people will be secure in their land. And they will know that I am the Lord when I break the bars of the yoke and rescue them from the hands of those who have enslaved them. And they will no longer be plundered by the nations, nor will wild animals devour them. They will live in safety and no one will make them afraid. And I will provide for them a land renowned for its crops and they will no longer be victims of famine in the land or bear the scorn of the nations. And then they will know that I, the Lord their God, am with them and that they, the house of Israel, are my people, declares the sovereign Lord. You, my sheep, the sheep of my pasture, are my people and I am your God, declares the sovereign Lord. A covenant an agreement full of peace, safety, provision, security, freedom, communion with God, relationship with God. That sounds like a pretty great blessing. If we understand what a blessing is, in our worldly ways, we tend to automatically think that a blessing equals finance. A blessing from God is a way of life. The blessings of God are eternal. It may well include financial security, but it's not, not the end. I want to live in that kind of blessing, knowing that God is with us, full of peace, full of security, full of freedom, having the bars of the chains broken, anything that held you back broken, rescued from difficult and dangerous situations, made whole by God. That sounds like a blessing. So if that's what a blessing is, that's what we're aiming for. And we know that the blessing comes after righteousness. Then we've got to trust God. We've got to trust God. That's what a blessing will look like. And trust comes as we let go of ourselves and allow God to keep being God. And we do what we're meant to do. Does that make sense? You okay with that this morning? Very quiet this morning. That's okay. Just look up here and smile. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we walk away from this place today, God, we want to walk away full of you. Lord, we want to walk away 
with hearts that are ready to trust. Lord, we want to put aside anything that has been a blockage to trust in the past. We want to lay aside any thoughts, any ill-conceived ideas, anything that is stopping us, Lord, from trusting you. God, as we start to understand what trust is, placing valuable things in someone else's hands, God, we want to trust you with our lives. We believe in you, Lord. We see your character, your ability, your strength. We see the truth. God, we just struggle to trust because of our own limitations and our own mess. God, we pray right now today that there would be a new sense of trust rise in us, in all of us, Lord, individually and collectively. God, we want to be a church that trusts you, a church that has a foundation of faith and belief and strength. We trust you, Lord Jesus. We pray, Lord, that individually we would be people who trust you with everything we've got, with our heart, our mind, our soul. Our, our husbands, wives, mums, dads, cousins, uncles, children, our belongings, everything we have, Lord Jesus, we place in your hands and we trust that you'll look after us. We believe in you, God. Thank you, Lord, for trusting us. Now, God, help us to trust you. Thank you, Lord Jesus, in your mighty name. Amen. Amen. I'm going to finish the service a bit differently today. I'm not going to ask the musos to come back up. I'm just going to ask you to stand up and stretch and shake hands with somebody. Give them a little blessing. Pray with them if you like. And uh, have a great week. Bless you guys.